God, I pray that in these next few moments that you would speak, that you would speak through me, and that you would speak through my testimony. Amen. When the music fades, all is stripped away. I've always loved music. Honestly, I think most people do. God has created it in that way to connect with the human heart. From a young age, I can clearly remember music feeling natural, feeling like it was part of me. Clapping was easy, melody was easy, it just worked. But I had no guidance, no one invested in me to develop these gifts. You see, I got three older brothers. One, the oldest brother is 10 years older, the second is nine years older, and the third is six years older. And they were all forced to play the piano and they hated it <laughs> so by the time it got to me there were no piano lessons available my parents thought it was a waste of time my earliest introduction to proper music was in year six and we were able to choose an instrument in school i wanted to play the flute <laughs> not sure why on reflection so I went to try out, which consisted of basically blowing into the mouthpiece of the flute. I did it, and I waited anxiously over the next few days for the result. I thought it was in the bag, given how basic the tryout was. Well, they eventually told me that my lips don't suit <laughs> that of a flute player, so they assigned me to the clarinet. The clarinet, I hated the clarinet i hated the sound i hated the practice i hated how painful it was on the muscles in the mouth i hated it but i played it in the school band until year 10 and i finished all the grades the moment i was done i packed it away and i've never blown a single note again i have no memory of how to play even though i learned to read music it was all short-term memory so soon after putting down the instrument, all the theory and knowledge dissipated. The introduction to formal music was not good, and the gift of music could have been lost at that very moment. It might seem insignificant, but not getting into flute was a big deal. Not a big deal because I was passionate about the flute and would have been a world-class flutist, but, we, but because once again, I was told in no uncertain terms you're not good enough. You're nothing special. When the music fades, no one is on the dance floor with you shouting one more song. <laughs> they left three songs ago, and truth be told, being on the dance floor is a figment of your imagination because you would have never got on the dance floor to begin with. If there's one word that I can use to summarize my childhood, it would be the word lonely. I thought of other words, shy, no self-esteem, fearful, but really the manifestation of these things led to loneliness. I was lonely within my family. Remember, I have three older brothers, so if I say I was six, they were 16, 15, and 12. The gap was real, and they were living their own lives with little regard for me. I remember we had a Sega Mega Drive and the game NBA Jam. It's a two-player game, and being the youngest, I would have to wait. So the oldest would play the second oldest, second oldest plays the third oldest, 
oldest plays the third oldest and then they left <laughs> I got pretty good at playing games by myself my parents both worked full-time my dad traveled a lot to support the big family we didn't spend a huge amount of time together but the times that we did spend together I was still pretty lonely within the family unit sometimes I'd say something or give an opinion and I was quickly told not to speak as I was the youngest wait for your elders to speak they would say I guess they didn't realize that after the elders have spoken <laughs> no one really wants to listen to the little guy so I quickly learned not to speak and every time I wanted to I just reminded myself that I was not important I'm not worth listening to anyway school wasn't much different I said very little I was very very shy remember at home I really felt unheard and unimportant so why would school be any different I listened attentively to the teachers I sat up straight did everything that was asked crossed my legs they loved me I thought respecting the teacher was a given just like respecting your elders <laughs> I can clearly remember in pre-primary there were a bunch of kids playing amok during class and they kept asking the teacher to go to the toilet so one by one they went to the toilet after a while the teacher picked up on what was going on and she cracked it and she said no one else is allowed to go to the toilet for the rest of this lesson <laughs> and at that very moment I needed to go I held on as long as I could until I couldn't and then I peed slowly through my shorts and I was sitting in a pool of pee and I remembers those school chairs that dip and you know it builds up there so when the recess siren rang I stayed seated avoided eye contact pretended like I was wrapping up with something and waited for everyone to leave the room and I got up and I tipped the pee onto the carpet my shorts were wet all day and she never got to the bottom of why the room smelled like pee when the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come. I was born into a Christian family. My grandfathers lived wild lives, but fortunately my grandmothers found God and went to church and brought their children. That's where my parents met in church. We moved to Perth when I was four and went to one of the original Assembly of God churches, now the ACC movement. That church was called Perth International Christian Fellowship. It was the smallest church, nothing flashy. Pastor Ken Fletcher was actually an associate pastor there. I can remember going to his house and playing with his kids. And Pastor Ken and Mel basically looked exactly the same as they did back then. Neil Smith was the youth pastor. And Neil Smith eventually started Lakes Christian Life Center, which eventually became Kingdom City. And he's with Planet Shakers Melbourne now. Even though I went to church, it didn't mean much to me. I went because that's what we do as a family. Truth be told, I didn't enjoy it. It was pretty boring. Even though I could tell they were trying their best with music and making the services interesting. I probably just didn't understand. That church had a pretty vibrant youth group at that time. But I was too shy and scared to go. I was already shy and scared at school and the youth group being near the city brought in kids with different rougher backgrounds <laughs> it was too much for me 
Fortunately, though, the youth leader's heart was bigger than my fear. Phil Stevenson was his name. He was the son of the senior pastor. He must have seen something in me. We lived in Willerton. Youth group was in the city. And he called my mum to invite me along, but no one in my family could get me there. So Phil insisted, and he came. He came to pick me up from the city. He came through the freeway traffic to come get me. Even though I was terrified, his sacrifice meant so much to me. I didn't relate it to the minutes of time he would have to spend driving. The message I got from his act of kindness was that I was worth it. I was worth going out of his way to get me. Kind of embarrassing to say, but it was the first time I felt a bit special. <laughs> I felt I was worth something. I'm sure the car ride was very awkward. I can't remember the words that were exchanged, but I know I was very nervous and anxious about the youth meeting. I wasn't a conversational person. I was very shy, so it would have been short answers, no follow-up questions in response, no flow at all. Probably would have come off that I was disinterested and didn't want to be there. <laughs> it would have been a, a funny car ride in hindsight. This eager youth leader trying desperately to engage this tiny little awkward Asian dude. I was pretty tiny. It was probably painful for him. But I was in pain. Wrecked with an anxiety and broken on the inside without even knowing it. This makes me think of the words of King David in Second Samuel 24, 24. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Looking back, Phil sacrificed for me. He went out of his way to come pick me up. It was about a one-hour round trip when you include the freeway traffic. He endured a rather awkward car ride with non-responsive Ray. But his sacrifice was the beginning of God changing my life. Just imagine if the week before, Phil did the same for another awkward Asian kid who lives south of the river. Awkward phone conversation with the awkward mother. Terrible traffic getting out of the city into the south of the river suburbs. Awkward conversation during the drive back into the city. Clunky, slightly disorganized youth meeting. Too many bung notes during worship. No response during altar call. Slightly too long pack down time. Awkward car ride again. Taking the awkward Asian kid back home to an awkward mother who just called saying, why is he not back yet? Phil gets home on a Friday night, wrecked from a long day, a long week, looks at the youth roster, looks at next week and how undermanned he is, and says in his mind, I've had enough of this. What's the point of it all? Why bother? Does it even mean anything? What am I even achieving? Life is passing me by. So Phil calls time on his season of youth leading. He's done. He is done with that season. Following Friday, I'm at home, playing an NBA jam by myself. 20 years later, I'm running a Ponzi scheme on my third marriage, living a shallow life in a big house, driving a fancy car with two children from two marriages who hate me. <laughs> a bit dramatic, I know, but is it impossible? Improbable? 
would God just have used the next Phil or the one after him? To be honest, I don't know. And that's the scary and sobering thought. We've all experienced the pain of serving. We've all sacrificed time and time again. You know, in the context of worship leading, we've all looked out at the, at the congregation to see blank faces, dis- disinterested hearts, even though we're trying our guts out and have prayed fervently all week. We've prepared and practiced for hours, slept early and got here while it was still dark. Regardless of the context, though, we all share the same thoughts at times. What's the point of it all? Why bother? What am I even achieving? What difference does this even make? I've got other things going on in my life. I can't just keep doing this forever. And then eventually, I'm done. I will not sacrifice to the Lord something that cost me nothing. This is so countercultural in this day and age. I mean, we literally want things to cost us. Well, nothing, or next to nothing. Google search is free, YouTube instructional is free, streaming services, Uber, all these online businesses, a lot of things cost next to nothing, but many of these companies don't make a dollar of profit, even though they're huge global brands. And it creates a false economy that things should be free or cost next to nothing. In our context, it's so easy for this secular way of thinking to creep into our Christian walk, to creep into our attitude with serving God. Just think about that for a moment. We don't say it aloud, but serving should not cost me too much. We shouldn't have to spend too much time on it because we're busy. I am busy. We have things of great importance outside of church. I'm studying for exams, I run a business, I have a family, I have relationships to tend to. It needs to fit into my schedule. It can't be too uncomfortable for me. I shouldn't have a bad experience. People should not talk to me poorly. I should not experience any offense. Others are not allowed to be emotional or have a rough week and accidentally take it out on me. This experience of my service should be as pain-free as possible because I'm the one sacrificing here. Don't get me wrong, we all go through seasons in our lives, but don't associate pain and sacrifice, or to be more specific, too much pain or too much sacrifice as an indication that this season should come to an end. Don't get me wrong, this is not to take you on a guilt trip, to serve blindly and without restraint and review, to throw out that ever so coveted word, balance. But it is an encouragement to realign your thinking that service to God does come at a cost. It is painful, which makes it so personal. And it is altogether so wonderful when you have that meaningful perspective. I'm 36. I run a financial planning business. I have three children under the age of nine, a wife, a life. And I can tell you that multiple times every year I hear the words, you've done enough. You've been doing this for 20 years or so. It's gone past you. Step down. Then I remember that when the music fades and all is stripped away, I simply came as I was. And God took me in. He gave me meaning. 
told me that I was valuable, that I was worth driving for, that I was worth dying for, that I am not alone. I started serving when I was in year nine. I joined the choir and they encouraged me to become a backup vocalist. Here, my journey of music and being on a worship team began. Funnily enough, my parents were not happy. I was rostered on for camp and we had a practice that ran into the night. It wasn't that late though, maybe I got home at 10 p.m. They called me into their room and they told me that they were worried that I would prioritize church over studying. They didn't tell me in a nice way either. I was confused. Firstly, they're Christian and they were very dogmatic about me never missing church. I can remember being so upset that I couldn't sleep over a friend's place on a Saturday night because of church on Sunday. I said, couldn't I just miss one church service? How would that have any impact on me at all? So I thought, well, if you're so hung up about me going to church, shouldn't you be happy that I'm serving? This is, this is so hypocritical, I shouted aloud in my mind. <laughs> no, the only thing that came out were tears. I cried quietly in front of them and left. You see, the other thing that was very confusing was that on top of being Christian, they never really cared much about my studies. So why are they caring or worrying now? I never did homework with them. They never asked me how I was going at school. They didn't even know if I was except excelling at school. Truth is, I wasn't excelling. I struggled at school. I didn't, I didn't get good grades because... <laughs> I was too scared to ask for help. So I was angry, but mainly sad. And once again, feeling very lonely. Something happened in that moment, though. It changed the course of my life. And it affects me until this very day. I can remember being in that room, sitting in that chair with the tears coming down my face. And the thought came, I will show you that I can serve God and that he will look after everything else. <laughs> I will serve God first and you see what happens. It would be nice to say that everything went upwards from there, but it didn't. That truth needed some time to simmer in my life. I, st I, I still struggled during those teenage years. I didn't do well with year 12 exams. I only just scraped into software engineering, which had a very low score entrance score back then i only did engineering because that's what my oldest brother was doing six weeks in i quit i worked at a restaurant and played counter-strike at a land center called dna who would eventually sponsor me to be on their clan team you know what though all through this time i kept serving even though my heart wasn't totally there i was in a low place not knowing what to do in life i practice to get into WAPA. I thought about sound engineering, but dad refused. He said, son, do a business degree if you don't know what to do, <laughs> which I did reluctantly. It was during this time in desperation, I turned to God. I made him Lord for real and went all in. I remembered those thoughts again when I was sitting in front of my parents crying. Serve God first and you see what happens. So, a bit lost, a bit aimless in life, with no idea what I really wanted to do. I knew what I could do. Serve the house. Serve God. 
even though I was not enjoying the degree, I started to do really well. I remember rostering myself on during exams and doing really well in the exams. Didn't make sense. You would think more study, less service would do the trick. But it was actually the other way around. And my parents started to notice. They couldn't really tell me to stop serving now that I was a young adult and they were still concerned I was serving too much. But they were scratching their heads because the more I served and the busier I seemed to be with church, (laughs) the better I was doing at uni. So that, my friends, is my secret sauce. Serve first and God will take care of the rest. Hang on, I think that's in scripture somewhere, something about seeking first his kingdom. There have been many, many times in life where I've wanted to deviate, where I wanted to put the brakes on serving for a while. Taking out a business loan worth more than an average house at 24 to buy into a financial planning business. Just stop serving, Ray. This is pretty important. Working and studying for two years after uni to get my certification as a financial planner. Just stop serving, Ray. This is more important right now. Getting engaged and saving and preparing for a wedding. Just stop serving, Ray. This is more important right now. Having a child Just stop serving, Ray. This is legitimately more important right now. Child number two, child number three, more exams, so on and so forth. I'll say it again. Don't get me wrong. This is not to take you on a guilt trip to serve blindly and without restraint or review or wisdom to throw out that ever so coveted word balance. But it is an encouragement to realign your thinking that service to God does come at a cost it is painful (laughs) that's totally cool all i can do is testify that in my life in every season your grace has been enough that all my life you have been faithful (laughs) that all my life you have been so so good with every breath that i'm able i will sing of the goodness of god I will sing of the goodness of God. When the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth, that will bless your heart. My closing thoughts. There's a difference between serving and being a servant. Serving is doing a job, filling a role, taking a spot on the roster, completing a task. Being a servant is a state of being. The servant understands that pain and sacrifice are synonymous with being a servant, and the servant loves it. To the servant, it's their expression of their love to God. It's the cross they carry. They don't avoid it. They don't necessarily invite it, but when it's there, they don't treat it as a sign that they're not walking in God's plan. That it's time for this season to end. Being a servant is extremely personal to the servant. Many will not understand. Many will judge and criticize. Some will share their judgments aloud. Others will show their position by their actions and how they relate with the servant. But the servant quietly rejoices 
because their role as servant is the deep connection they have with the master. It brings the servant deep intimacy with the master. They share stories together, they share frustrations, they celebrate wins together, they grow closer together, they remember the challenges and they laugh over the victories. My prayer for us as servants is this. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. May it be all about you. All about you, Jesus. Amen.